The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Practicing the Way of Jesus, a study on the Sermon on the Mount. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again. My name is Alex Arguello. I'm one of the elders here at Sacred City. And even though it is cold, which if you haven't noticed yet, it's cold, right? It is, it is cold out here. And I haven't uh, ever wanted my old starter jacket when I was a kid more than I do now, especially been up here when it's in his Eskimo coat. Wish I could have that. These long johns aren't working the greatest right now, but... We are still here um, on the day of the Lord, right? We're still here to rejoice and be glad, so that's what we're going to do. So it is a joy to be with all of you this morning, including you on the live stream, who are sitting at home and warm and cozy, maybe on your couch, in your PJs. What What were the rest of us doing here, right? We could have been there, but we're not. We're here, right? So before I get started this morning... I do want to just say thank you to the church, as well as the individuals who sent me and my family um, the cards and the gifts for Pastor Appreciation Month. Those have been good for my soul to read. I actually waited to read those this morning so I could be encouraged um, for this morning. But those have been a blessing to me to receive those and and to to read those things. Um, And I also just want to say that it has been a joy to serve this church as an elder, um, especially with the other men who are elders. And that includes Dr. Jesse and Dr. Tom, who have stepped away at this time. Um, God has done, done good work in me through this, this process of being an elder um, for the past few years, and I am thankful for it. And of course, I pray that he would continue to do that work um, in me, but also through me uh, for the building up of this church. And um, we get to do some of that today, right? Uh, preaching and teaching the word of God is something that elders have been called to. So our prayer is that he would do that today through me. For those of you who are just joining us today, which is awesome if you're joining us today out here in the cold. That's amazing. But we have been in a series called Practicing the Way of Jesus, where we're preaching through the Gospel of Matthew, focusing on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We just last week finished the Beatitudes, which one commentator called the manifesto laying out the nature of the life in the kingdom of heaven, which is an important phrase, and we'll get into that today. But we learned that it wasn't just the code of ethics that Jesus was suggesting all people follow in society, but it was describing what a disciple of Christ looks like. Something interesting to see again is this happiness or flourishing that a disciple of Christ has applied, yes, to the here and now. We know that because the first and the eighth Beatitudes come with an assurance that was present tense for the disciples. Jesus said, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But this happiness also points to a life that is yet to come. The Beatitudes sandwiched in between the first and the fifth seem to point to a future for this blessed person. 
And that future brings a happiness that happens in a life that is lived in a world that is no longer fallen, no longer marred by sin and evil, a life that is full of truth, goodness, and beauty. So there's something interesting going on here. There's this comfort and inheritance, satisfaction, even an identity that will be fully realized in the future. But as we will see today, that future life and future world is not yet fully here, which means that there are still effects of the fall in our world right now. Still sin, still evil that are present in our world right now. So the question is, what does the Bible say about that? What is God's answer to the brokenness and darkness that's still in the world we live in right now? Not what his answer is in the future. We know that one day Christ is going to return and fully make everything right, fully consummate his kingdom and destroy anything that opposes him. We call that the restoration piece of the gospel story. And it's a very important piece. But what happens in the meantime? In this already but not yet time that we are in. That's what we're going to talk about today. And we're not going to mess around today. I know you guys are cold. We want to get out of here. So I need your help. If I feel like you guys are sleeping out there, I might slow down. So please be with me. Help me with this. Tatum, I need some amens out of you. Creighton, also same thing out of you. I need to know that you guys are here. But let me pray and then we'll jump right in. Father God, we thank you for this time together. Lord, even though we are cold and outside and it's not necessarily the way that we would want to do things, the good news is we still get to worship you this morning. We still get to worship you together with our brothers and sisters. Now we ask, Lord, as I preach the word of God and these people receive and hear the word of God, that you would do a good work for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So one of the things that I need to do before I can expound the text is talk a little bit about what we call the gospel. And the reason that I need to do that is because our text is about the Christian's call in this life or what we would call mission. And if you misunderstand the gospel, you're going to misunderstand mission. Now, when many churches say that they preach the gospel, many of them mean that they preach the message that Christ came, died on a cross for our sins, and in order to be saved or not go to hell when you die and instead go to heaven, you need to put your faith in Christ in the work that he did. Now, we would say yes and amen to that. But if you stop at Christ in his work on the cross as being only about getting souls into heaven, then you have a very narrow view of what the gospel accomplishes. You have a truncated gospel. And if you have a truncated gospel, you will have a truncated mission. If you, your mission will focus on proclaiming Christ and his work, which is, again, is necessary and great, and do that. But if you think that the work is solely about getting people out of here and into heaven, you will miss what Christ truly has called to us to do as his followers. We don't want either a truncated gospel or mission, and don't believe that the Bible teaches either of those as well. So let me briefly, as briefly as I can, show us what I mean all throughout the gospel of Matthew and the other gospel accounts, we see John the baptizer and also Jesus saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We also see that Jesus went throughout the synagogues and proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. 
from this, and I wish I could say more about that, but from this, we can see that Jesus came into the world with a message and a mission, and neither of them are small. Neither of them were about getting souls, only about getting souls into heaven, and for sure, not about letting this world go to hell in a handbasket. The message was about a kingdom, and the mission was about bringing that kingdom here. When Jesus came to this world, lived his life, then went to the cross where he died, he then rose again on the third day to resurrection life. That work, which we know as the gospel of Jesus Christ, was done to atone for the sins of the world, and by grace, through faith, in that work, sinful people like you and like me receive forgiveness for our sins and a righteousness that is not our own. That saves us and gives us eternal life with God, and it happens no other way. But what about this kingdom that John and Jesus talked about and said was good news? It was the gospel of the kingdom. It's the good news of the kingdom of heaven. That same Christ, that same work that he accomplished, that he said was finished, also ushered in the kingdom of heaven. As we said before, Jesus didn't bring this kingdom in full at his first coming. That won't happen until the second coming, but it has been inaugurated. The Bible says it's at hand. And Christ, because of his work, has now been given all authority in heaven and on earth, which means he was the king of this kingdom that was at hand. This kingdom was going to be like a mustard seed, he said, which starts small but grows slowly into a tree. It was going to start small with a group of Jewish disciples 2,000 years ago and then grow and expand into all the earth. How does that match up with the gospel and a mission that is solely about getting people out of earth and into heaven? It doesn't. It even sounds more like the gospel message in Christ's mission was more about getting heaven into the earth. Jesus came to make all things new. And right now he is in the process of doing that by expanding his kingdom. And as we will see here today in our text, he brings us, he brings his followers into that process to join him in his work. That's a full gospel. That's a full mission. And as we would look again at our text, we'll see that right away. So please turn to Matthew chapter 5. Verses 13 through 16, I will read it again. These are the words of God. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So right away, we see that there are two affirmations here that Christ makes. Verse 13, he says, you are salt. Verse 14, he says, you are light. 
Now we're going to get into what it means, what he means by salt and light, but listen to theologian John Stott on this. He says, if the Beatitudes describe the essential character of the disciple of Jesus, the salt and light metaphors indicate their influence for good in the world. Let me say that in a different way. If the Beatitudes describe what kingdom people are like, the salt and light metaphors indicate the kingdom impact that these people will make. This should be amazing to us, especially in our country where it's so much about being industrious and materially successful combined with individualism. We have a tendency to think that we in and of ourselves have to go out into the world and make a name for ourselves. We have to go find who we are and to find our own path in life. But that's not true for the follower of Christ. Here, just like we did in the Beatitudes, Jesus looks at his disciples and tells them who they are and what the path should be that they are on. He says, you are my disciples. You are kingdom people. Now go and be who you are. That's how Jesus expands his kingdom, by calling people to be who they are. Now that's great news, but it's not something that we can just sign up for, is it? We can't just say and hear the, we can't just hear the Beatitudes and hear the charge to be salt and light and say, that sounds pretty good, count me in. That same gospel that ushers in the kingdom and saves souls also changes us into people who follow Jesus. It is God who makes one a kingdom person. You may remember this from our Colossians series. Colossians 1, starting in verse 12, Paul says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered you from the domain or kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. That means that we as Christians are no longer under the power and rule of sin, the world, and the devil. But now we are under the power and rule of Christ the king. And this king has called us to go and be kingdom people. We need to hear that. So much of the lack of Christian influence on our world is not because the other influences in our world are too strong to overcome. It's not because we haven't learned enough yet or aren't good enough at making that influence. It's because we've forgotten who we are and what we've been called to. And what's wrapped up into who we are, this is important, who we are as Christians is who we are united to as Christians. And who we are united to as Christians is the king of the world. Can you imagine If we as Christians actually went into this world on a daily basis, remembering who we were in Christ and what we have been called to in Christ, this world would look much different than the way that it does. Much more like the world that's coming in the future. And that's what we're called to in this text. It says that Christ's disciples are salt of the earth and light of the world. That's this earth. That's this world, the earth and world that God created and the earth and world that Christ has come to change. How does it change? By the power of the gospel, yes, but also by people who have been changed by that gospel and then go and join Christ in his mission. 
Christ here says, you are the means of grace that I am bringing to this world, that is going to change the world. If you can remember who I am, if you can remember who that makes you to be, if you can remember that you have been given your identity by me and then go and live from that identity, then we are going to change the world for the better. Believe that, especially as we're in 2020, where all we want to do is talk about how bad things are. Believe what Christ has called us to and who he has called you to in that. Now let's get into how that's going to happen. What does Christ mean by these salt and light references? I like again how theologian John Stott explains this. He says, so Jesus calls his disciples to exert a double influence on the secular community. A negative influence by arresting its decay and a positive influence by bringing light into the darkness. For it's one thing to stop the spread of evil It's another thing to promote truth, beauty, and goodness. Now, it seems that the most significant use of salt for Jesus' audience was to preserve things, especially meat. People in biblical times would use heavy amounts of salt that they would gather from the nearby seas to rub into the meat so that that meat wouldn't spoil. So Jesus would be saying here, as salt of the earth, his followers were to keep the earth from going bad, from rotting. How about the light reference? This one's less complicated, isn't it? What's the purpose of light? To get rid of darkness. If you want to eliminate the darkness in the room, Jesus says, then you light a lamp and you put it on a stand so that the darkness can be dealt with. Here we learn the darkness of the world is dealt with by bringing light into it. So here's something important that we can imply from this passage. The disciples lived in a world that was decaying and full of darkness. Sound familiar? Since Roe v. Wade in 1973, over 60 million babies have been killed legally in their mother's wombs in the United States. 40 million people across the planet are victims of sex trafficking at any given moment, 25% of those being children. There's 500,000 children that don't have families in the U.S. right now. The Bible refers to them as orphans. 50,000 people commit suicide in this country every single year. 40 million Americans regularly visit pornography websites. There is still significant racial divide, class divide, political divide. The nuclear family is being attacked from all directions by the same worldview that says men can marry other men, women can marry other women, girls can be boys, boys can be girls, and that can change on a day-to-day basis depending on how they feel, even though God says it can't change. And the worst thing is there's close to 8 billion people in our world right now, and less than 1 billion of them even profess that Christ is Lord and Savior. That's the world that you and me and our children and our grandchildren wake up to every single morning. A world that is decaying and full of darkness. Do we care? Does that break our hearts? I hope we can actually think about that. 
as uncomfortable as it might be to actually think about that, because the truth is God cares. That breaks God's heart. And if, if, if it, you're a follower of Christ, evidence that you are a follower of Christ, that you are a kingdom person, that we are kingdom people, is we care too. Our hearts break too for what's happening in the world right now. But not only that. Jesus doesn't just call us here to care and our response to the decaying and dark world is not just a broken heart and not just hating the way things are. Our response is to change it. Around here, we like to say, our response is to renew it. Where am I getting that? These yous that we see in verses 13 and 14, the best translation there would be you and only you. That's not saying you and only you by yourself in your flesh. That's not what it's saying. We know that we do this through Christ. We do this with Christ in us and with us. What that's saying is the church, God's people, are the ones who are salt and light, are the ones that are going to bring light into the darkness of this world. Jesus is saying there's no plan B. There's no plan B other than me and the church. There's no plan B other than me and my people. He says, you, speaking to his disciples, are what's going to prevent the decay of the culture. Just as salt would be get rubbed into the meat to keep that meat from rotting and decaying, from going bad, Jesus is sending out his followers, these people who have been given what they need for divine happiness, these people who have been given the kingdom of heaven to be rubbed into the world, into the culture, to prevent its decay and to preserve its goodness. Just like the lamp uncovered eliminates the darkness in the house, Christians are expected to step into this dark world and bring the only thing that can get rid of that darkness, which is light, which is them, as they remember who they are and who is with them in Christ. So we are God's means of grace that can change the world. But if we look at the passage, if change doesn't happen, we see here, that God doesn't blame the earth. God doesn't blame the darkness. That would be like blaming the meat for rotting instead of blaming the lack of salt. Or like blaming the darkness that there's no light in the room instead of blaming the basket that we put over the lamp. That's silly. If change doesn't happen, it's the salt that is the problem. It's the light that's being hidden. In verse 13, we see if salt loses its utility, then it has lost its purpose. It has lost its saltiness. It has lost its identity. And Christ says, if that happens, then what is it good for? Nothing is the answer, and it should be thrown out and trampled on. Same with the light. If we don't let it shine, it loses its purpose. So this means that we can't look at the current state of our world and hate the th that things aren't better and think that if everyone else could just get their act together, we would be all right. We also can't think, man, if we just had better schools, if we just had better leaders in office, if we just had better economic plans, health care, welfare programs, police reform, if people would just stop eating fast food and drinking Mountain Dew, pick up a weight occasionally and stop smoking, this world would be a much better place. Is there truth in all those things? Probably. Especially the fast food. 
But how are those things and everything else I could have listed going to happen? How are they going to change? Yes, God in his common grace uses institutions like our government and other means outside of the church to bring good into this world. But when we are talking about a kingdom impact, it's going to happen when we, the church, stop blaming the world, stop blaming the darkness, and start remembering who we are, what we've been called to do, and who is with us on that mission. Verse 16 makes that clear. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Don't blame the darkness for being dark. Go after that darkness with the light that God has given you. Don't blame the meat for rotting. Go into it with your salt that God has given you. Now, if you're like me, you could hear a message like this. You could preach a message like this, and it could affect you, right? It could stir something up in you, and I hope it has. Otherwise, I could start over. But what can happen is the analytical part of your brain turns on, and we immediately start thinking, okay, but what do I do now? What does it look like to be salt and light to a world in the real life, in the real stuff of life? So I wanted to briefly do something that we don't typically do here and get practical, and then we'll close. I feel like I'm five minutes in. Are we good? When we hear a list like I just read of all the things that are happening in our world right now, and that list, of course, is not exhaustive. There are terrible things, horrifying things that are happening in our world right now that I didn't even mention. But when we see a list like that, the right response And then hearing that God has called us to go in and change those things is, holy smokes, where do I start? So with the framework of being salt to prevent the decay or stop the spread of evil and also being light to eliminate the darkness and promote good that is the kingdom of God, I want to say to hopefully encourage all of us that doing that takes being an ordinary Christian. We don't have to be a church planner or some evangelist who has 5 million YouTube followers. Do we need church planners and people gifted in evangelism? Absolutely. But the kingdom expands when ordinary Christians go out and be salt and light. So I want to give us just five things that we can do as those ordinary Christians. Number one, spend time with God, which means prayer and Bible. Matthew 6, verse 10, the Lord's Prayer, he tells us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we go to God first and we pour out our hearts to him, asking him to do the work in us and through us that he wants us to do. And we do that not necessarily to get filled up, right? We don't do that necessarily to get passionate about being salt and light. If we do, praise God for that. But we do it because God calls us to do that. And we can trust that obedience here throughout our entire life will be blessed by God. But one aspect of prayer that I want to highlight is confession. Because I'm assuming that that's not necessarily, especially if I just look at my own life, that's not necessarily the primary place we go to when we think about pouring our hearts out to God. Of course, if you have never felt the weight of your sin and felt the need for your forgiveness, 
than confessing your sins for the first time and your need for a savior and professing that Christ is that savior you need is absolutely necessary if we're going to be salt and light. But even if you have done that, there is still this need to confess our sins on a regular basis so that our conscience can be clear. Imagine being in ongoing sin and being salt and light at the same time. It can't happen. How can we fight against the darkness of sexual immorality that is rampant in our culture if we are engaging in it as followers of Christ? We can't. How can we fight against the decay of the family in our culture if we aren't investing in the health of our own families? We can't. How can we fight against the ignorance about Jesus in the culture if we aren't knowledgeable about God and his word and teaching our kids about those same things? How can we bring light into the cesspool that is social media if we are on there arguing all the time, posting inflammatory content, or even just liking immodest pictures that people post? Confession of these sins is necessary. And of course, repentance is necessary. Turning from these sins and turning to Christ in his way if we are going to be salt and light. The other piece of time with God is knowing him through his word. So are we reading our Bible, studying our Bible, reading books that apply his word? Are we living in community where his word can be applied in the real stuff of life? Are we committed to a local church where we have elders that we can submit to who have been called by God to preach and teach his word for our good? How can we be salt and light to the world if we don't even know the one who is the source of that salt and light? Number two, be faithful where God has you. If you're a parent, fight to be a great parent. If you're a spouse, fight to be a great spouse. If you're a business owner, fight for excellence in that area. If you're at home with the kids, fight to create this oasis of peace and joy for your family. As an employee, fight to work for Jesus and not just a paycheck. These, as unimpactful as they may seem, have an enormous impact on preventing the decay and pushing back the darkness. If you doubt that, pay attention to our culture and you will see how much all of those things are not commonly happening. So us doing those things are good works that people will see and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Number three, love your brothers and sisters. We talked much about how, sin, how much sin and evil there is all over the world that makes up much of the darkness and decay, but there are people in our body, in our church right now, who are struggling and hurting too. So ask the question, how can we be serving, blessing, loving our brothers and sisters in Christ on an ongoing basis? Meals, fixing garage doors like a brother just did for us this past week, just singing to them, happy birthday at MC Gathering, making them their favorite dessert, encouraging them when they need it, listening to them when they need it, and of course, calling them away from the path of foolishness and back to the path of righteousness. These are all good works. Number four, disciple our city. Jesus calls us to make disciples, so are we pursuing that? Are we sharing the gospel with those who don't know God? Are we making relationships with people who don't know God or are very young in their walk with God? 
This is what letting our light shine means. Evangelism, making disciples, preaching Christ and his work to this city. That's how the kingdom expands, when more disciples are made. So do we even have places that we regularly go where there are non-believers around? If we do, like a gym maybe, are we there solely to get a workout in or are we there to be salt and light in the lives of the people who need that salt and light? I'm not saying that we all need to add something to our life like a gym membership, but think about it. What are we doing right now? What do we regularly do with consistency that we can start to do with non-believers? Eating? Recreating? Celebrating? We call those rhythms, and they can help with being intentional about discipling our city. And the last one, pick a lane. As the church, we have to step into all of the dark and evil realities that are in our world. We need Christians stepping into the fight against abortion, fight against sex trafficking, the fight against racial divide, and every other fight that there is. And I think wisdom with these bigger issues comes down to picking a lane. We are finite beings whose capacity and time on this earth are extremely limited. We can't be salt and light in every area that needs it in the world, but as the church, we can be. My fight, I already mentioned it, Get people to stop eating fast food. I'm losing, I know. But seriously, there is unnecessary sickness and suffering in this world, specifically in our country, so my lane is to fight against the destructiveness of chronic disease and help people live a life free from physical, mental, emotional darkness and decay. Things like that are missional. That's renewing the city. So pick a lane. With these five things, hopefully we have a good idea of what being salt and light looks like. And my prayer is that now we will go and be it. But as we go, and as I close, let me say this. Remember that yes, as I have hopefully beat into our heads this morning, we are kingdom people who have been called to make a kingdom impact but it's important to come back to Christ. Before we could ever be salt and light to this world, Christ had to bring his light into our own darkness. And he did that by his grace and by his mercy. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. Peter says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. As we go out into our city, remembering who we are and what we've been called to, also remember Peter's words. God is merciful to us, and now we are in his marvelous light. And yes, he's called us to something big and weighty, but his light is always with us, and his mercies are new every morning.
that doesn't change based on our saltiness. That doesn't change based on how much we let our light shine. That doesn't mean we don't go out and be salty. That doesn't mean we don't go and let our light shine. But God is merciful and his light is with us. Nothing can change that. That's good news. Believe that this morning. And remember that as we come to the table. This is a meal that symbolizes the renewal of our covenant with God. A covenant that says, I will be your God and king, and you will be my people. It's a covenant that he made with us. He made with us. And he wants us to remember that. He says, I made this covenant with you. I came to earth. I had my body broken. I had my blood shed so that I could be your God and you could be my people. And there's nothing in all of creation that can change that. So let's pray. Gracious and merciful God, we thank you that you got us through that, Lord. We thank you that you kept us warm here. We thank you that a word was spoken, Lord, that was from you. And that's what did it for us, Lord. We could, we could experience any sort of elements. As long as you're with us, as long as we're here to worship you in spirit and in truth, we can do some awesome things, Lord. And just being here and worshiping you is one of those awesome things. Worshiping of you, of you is something that you use to show that we're salt and light of the world. Worship of you is one of those good works that can happen. So now use that, Lord. Use what we've spoken today. Take away anything that I said that wasn't from you and magnify what I said that was. Change us with that word, Lord. Change us into people who leave here knowing who they are in Christ, knowing that they've been forgiven, knowing that they've been redeemed, but also knowing that they've been called to something that they've been called to something important, that they've been called to something that's from you, that they've been called into your story, Lord, not as just characters in that story, but also carriers of that story, Lord. Help us now to go, to leave here and be that salt of the earth and light of the world that you've called us to for your glory. And we ask this in confidence because we ask in Jesus' name, amen.